Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am excited to talk to you a little bit about the feminist movement. Yes, we're going to, uh, it's not a third rail necessarily, but I think my guest has an interesting point that she wrote about recently in an article called International Men's Day is a Feminist Cause. And she joins me now. She is a political commentator, Sophia Warringer, I should say her name. Forgive me. Sophia is a political commentator with Young Voices UK. Sophia, welcome to the program. Why don't you start with telling us uh, just the general idea of your article and why you decided to write it? Thanks, Chris. So I think it's really important that the modern feminist movement doesn't lose its roots. And one of the things that I'm concerned about is that it's trying to demonize its opposition and it sees its opposition as men. And my argument is that if feminists believe in equality as they should and as they do, they should be championing the cause of inequality wherever they find it. And whether that is men falling behind or women falling behind, they should make that their cause. And we have lots of examples of even though men in the majority may in many cultures be ahead or perceived to be ahead, we have lots of examples of where men are struggling, both as a cohort and as individuals. And I think it's really important that when men are struggling, even if they are perceived to be in this more advantaged group of men, that we champion their causes too. For example, three quarters of suicides in the UK are men, 55% of our female undergraduates, um, sorry, undergraduates are female. So we have a very low representation of white working class boys going to university in the UK. All these examples, and there are many more which we can touch on, show that there are some instances where men are falling behind. And if feminists believe in true equality, not female dominance, which is where I'm worried they often go, if they believe in two, true equality, they should care about those causes too. All right. So do you consider, and maybe we should define some terms and kind of break this out before we dive into the statistics, which I think you bring up that are phenomenal. Um, do you consider yourself a feminist? How do you define feminist? How do you view the feminist movement? So if the question is, do I think men and women should be treated equally before the law, then absolutely yes. But I do have some problems with the modern definition of feminism, which is why I want to take up this cause, because I feel they go too often into the antagonistic route where they demonise men and where they see that any dissent of men is a victory for them. So there was quite a gleeful reporting in the UK of the fact that girls were outperforming boys in our standard exams at 16 called GCSEs. And if that had been the other way round, there would have been no gleeful reporting. And I think that is problematic that we see or feminists often see the ascent of women requiring the descent of men. And I do think that is problematic. So yes, I absolutely believe in equality between the sexes, but I don't like this demonization of men. And so that's where I have some problems with the modern feminist movement. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I have a daughter, and uh, I think it's very important for... I mean, I grew up with uh, in the 90s and 2000s, and it was very important. You know, you had girl power with the Spice Girls, um, and obviously that's gotten strong, and I think that's phenomenal. I think that... You used the word in your article, egalitarian, um, which I thought was a, a, a very good word, you know, in Christian circles, there's always the arguments uh, about the roles between a um, husband and wife, and egalitarianism is sort of the where, where both the couples are equal. Can you expound on that idea and how you'd like to see society structured that reaches that egalitarianism? Yeah, so I think what I meant by that phrase, that term egalitarianism there is the idea that there is equality between men and women, both in worth, both in ability, um, both in their standing before the law and what they should be able to achieve um, in their treatment and their safety and all of those things, they should be equal. But I think actually what might be more controversial is in the feminist movement to say, yes, we believe in equality, but yes, we also believe that there are some distinctions between men and women which are best preserved and blurring the lines of this sex distinction is is difficult and I think therefore um, where this International Men's Day is so important is we need to take up the cause of men when they are falling behind and that is the true cause of egalitarianism. Egalitarianism does not mean dominance of women and feminism does not mean dominance of women yet sometimes listening to modern feminist discourse you might think that that is the case and i would say that's problematic do you worry that in writing this article or coming on this podcast um that sometimes the and i'm not saying you're doing this i just want you to kind of analyze the trend of the men the men's right side right so the folks who usually come with this message that say this if you scratch a little bit deeper they're not really egalitarian and i do think that that's an interesting you know then the other side uses that as a reactionary see they're not really for egalitarianism um when you wrote that when you wrote this article were you were you considering that at all were you kind of thinking about all right i'm in the out group being a woman writing about men but i'm also going against or you're in the in group of women but the out group of conventional opinion um so when you wrote the article like how did you balance that in your mind and how did you try to strike a fair balance yeah so i'm fairly aware of the men's liberation group in fact i wrote my dissertation which won a few awards um on 1970s men's activist groups so something i'm very interested in and what i articulated there was that um this father's rights activist groups that emerged in the 1970s were often driven by fairly misogynistic um motivations but unwillingly and unwittingly they were articulating a new concept of fatherhood which was based around time with their children so this was separated fathers who no longer live with their partners and therefore their children so they were articulating a new concept of fatherhood that was based around time and not just breadwinning which was the kind of traditional model and I think therefore that shows me the nuances um, that can be drawn from examining the men's liberation movement. I think a lot of it can be driven by 
misogyny, by anger, by um, misunderstanding, and often by hate. And that is absolutely unacceptable and that cannot be tolerated. But I think what I am trying to say in my piece is just because some of those people are motivated by wrong things who have very kind of sometimes very misogynistic motivations and view of women, which is unacceptable, they still might be highlighting valid concerns. So, for example, three quarters of men um, being suicide statistics, that's awful, that's really tragic. And even if the wrong people are articulating that cause, some of what they try and articulate may be true and we should be able to pull out the nuances there and say we don't agree with your your methods but some of the problems you're identifying may be true um and i think that's the way we should approach it in the same way that i would have problems uh with some parts of the feminist movement but i wouldn't throw out all of their arguments i think we just need to approach these issues with more nuance and not categorize people as their ideology and therefore write them off completely. Yeah, we seem to be struggling with trying to hold space for minority views that are outside of the mainstream and demonize the messengers. I don't know anything about the men's rights or, or the 70s of, of what you're talking about. Can you give us just like a little bit of a primer and maybe if you've written on this elsewhere, direct us where we can learn more because that's really interesting to me. Yeah, so in terms of directing for further reading, the paper I wrote was um, for an undergraduate dissertation, so it's it's not sadly um, published, but I can send you a copy if you're interested. But um, in terms of what it meant, so as the divorce regulations legal, um, were loosened and it was easier for couples to divorce in the UK um, in the 70s, the 60s and the 70s, there obviously became more divorced fathers and they realised that in kind of 95% plus of court cases where the judge was deciding whether the children should live with the mother or the father, the judge decided in the mother's favour. And whether that is right or wrong is not for me to comment on, but they artic- they were kind of reacted to that and formed these men's groups, which had the characteristic often of being kind of angry, disgruntled, um, divorced men. And they organised themselves both in terms of friendship and solidarity for a shared experience, but also to try and lobby to get more rights for fathers in the legal system particularly around custody. And some of their methods were absolutely appalling. Um, and they sometimes would kidnap children from their mothers and remove them from their custody. So there's complete um, and definite horror stories coming out of that. Wrong way to um, handle but it. I think <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But it was interesting that they, um, they identified what they perceived to be a bias in the legal system. So they organised these groups. So the this Families Need Fathers was founded then, and then there's other groups that have come subsequently in the um, following decades, Fathers for Justice, which famously, uh, in the UK at least, poured flour over Gordon Brown's head in the House of Commons. Uh, oh, that's from the right, gallery. I so remember that. And it's kind of scaled various buildings in um, various different costumes. So they were quite good at grabbing the headlines, but I think... What I'm trying to say here is not whether the men's liberation movement were um, going about their methods in the wrong or the right way. That's not uh, necessarily this conversation. And obviously, 
some of those methods were absolutely wrong in terms of the legalities. But what is important, I think, is because they were perceived to be in a minority, in a majority group, sorry, their voices were kind of completely ignored because they said, well, you have power, you've enjoyed patriarchal structures that have benefited you because you are male and therefore you must have benefited from them and therefore you don't have much of a voice in these proceedings. And I think, yes, a lot of the kind of feminist movement that came out of the 70s was in response to a very long history of patriarchal patriarchal society in the UK and around the world. But just because it was in a response to something which was bad in terms of their perspective, the feminist perspective, it doesn't mean that some of the grievances expressed by this so-called majority group are not valid, Um, which is why I think that International Men's Day should be a feminist cause is because if you do care about equality, it shouldn't matter to you who is behind. You should be championing their causes, whether you seem you see that they have power or whether you see that they don't have power, you should be championing their cause. Yeah. And that has happened in America, having been through a custody battle with, with my wife, um, not my ex-wife, but with her ex-husband. Uh, the courts, we had a men's rights movement too. We had the same issues of what I consider injustice. And now the courts are really trying to fix that. You know, and which I see as a good thing. You know, if you have a kid with somebody that they're both, you're both parents. And I think that while that's a really important issue, I think some of the issues that you raise in your article, um, it, you use the term rough sleepers. I'm guessing that means homeless or people experiencing. Yeah, homeless? people who sleep on the street. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 84% of men in the UK are um, experiencing homelessness. 75% of all suicides are men. 66% of alcohol-related deaths are male. 95% of industrial accidents are male. Men are at a higher risk for most types of cancers, as well as being likely to die 3.9 years earlier than women. Uh, and so it doesn't always have, you, you say here, being male does not necessarily bring an inherent advantage in every area of life. These are really important issues. And the, the, I think the overdose issue here in America is, uh, largely male. It's generally deaths of despair, uh, that Mm -hmm. men seem to be leading in. Has there been any kind of conversation that you've seen about why that is why are men leading in these statistics and what are some issues that we ought to correct that will help us kind of i don't want to say achieve equality because you don't want equality in deaths so it's a weird way to put it but uh you you know what why are men leading in these statistics do you think yeah, absolutely. We want to see those numbers, not necessarily as a percentage, because that would mean women going up, but in aggregate going down for men. Um, I think let's take, for example, rough sleeping. So 84% of rough sleepers in the UK are men. And we know that a leading cause of rough sleeping is family and relational breakdown. You're always kind of one relation away from the street, because when your last relationship ends, your last friend who's going to put you on their sofa, your family member who's going to let you sleep on their floor, then you're on the street. And I think in that aspect, it's 
clear that men have fewer relationships, both um, in family and friends than women. They're not as good as as nurturing and keeping those relationships sometimes. Um, And there's also lots of complex kind of mental health problems tied up with that. And men are less likely to seek treatment for mental health problems um, and also potentially more likely to have experienced other risk factors associated with homelessness, such as um, being a veteran or all of those things, which we know also contribute to your risk of homelessness and, of course, um, substance addiction. So I think it's a very complex picture, um, but definitely one that needs to be addressed. And I think, um, take, for example, the education outcome. So I've mentioned that we have boys are less likely to go to university, white working class boys are the least of any cohort in the UK, including those who've been in the care of the local authority to have go to university. And I think sometimes that is about aspiration, about role models, um, about learning styles and exam styles, and um, also about narrative of how these things are reported. There shouldn't be glee when girls are outperforming boys at GCSEs or glee when there's a disproportionate amount of girls going to university because that means that boys are suffering and boys are missing out, boys are less. And I think it's very important to be careful in the way that, yes, we want to promote women, we want to see them flourish, we want to see them excel in all subjects and um, that is really important, but that shouldn't be at the expense of men. So, for example, a few weeks ago, there was a UN Women tweet that said in 2021, 11% of journalists killed in the world were women and that they wanted to get that down. And obviously, on face value, that seems great. Yes, of course, we want to reduce the number of journalists who are killed around the world, often reporting um, wars. But to decrease the percentage of women, that means you want to increase the percentage of men. And that was just a very strange way of approaching a very important issue. And that tweet has now been deleted. I think they Yeah, presumably when you want you want to increase opportunity for women to be frontline reporters in you know, in Ukraine and Syria and other right. So that's probably a value that they hold. So that's a very odd way to phrase I mean, we just tried to be careful. Right. And I think that is uh, uh, they're they're not trying to be careful about a lot of this stuff. And so do you think I mean, there's always like 10 percent of any movement that's crazy. Right. That you just is unreachable. (laughs) Um, Any podcast audience, that number applies to. Uh, So how would you like to see a healthy conversation structured around this thing? around this conversation with activists, feminist activists particularly, um, how, how can we approach this or is it kind of hopeless that progressive ideology is steeped in identitarianism and this is just sort of going to be the outcome and so the middle needs to rise up and take control of the conversation? I don't think it's ever hopeless. I think what's really important is that feminism doesn't, try and perpetuate pitting men and women against each other as if life is a continual competition. We know that when women thrive, men thrive. When men thrive, women thrive. So we've talked about suicide statistics. When one person takes their own life, it's estimated that 135 people are impacted by that death. And that's men and women. And that's 
women, for example, who are impacted when their partners don't take paternity leave because of the impact we know that has on maternal mental health and the development of children. There needs to be an understanding that the sexes are work best when they're not in competition, but they're in in unison and they work together, not against each other. Um, but I think also we need to be very careful to not write people off as either privileged or unprivileged, completely dependent on what group we assign them to. People's lives are a lot more complex than that. And you aren't just part of a homogenous group. You are an individual that experiences different challenges and advantages. And just assigning somebody's privilege or non-privilege dependent on this very broad group that has, yes, a few shared characteristics, but is probably more different than is similar, is very worrying and also very unhelpful. And I think that's where we can move conversation away from these stereotypes as well. I think we all have a responsibility there to check ourselves when these stereotypes and this identity politics is taking hold of our discourse. All right, Sophia Warringer. Okay, all right, good. I I had a momentary panic as I was saying Sophia. Uh, So thank you so much. Shameless self-promotion time. Where can people follow you for the, they want to follow your work? At Sophia Warringer on Twitter. All right, perfect. Do you want to give a backup just in case Twitter doesn't make it through the end of, by the time this is posted? Do you have a... (laughs) Let's be hopeful that it does. I don't, I'm not on any other social networks at the moment. So I right, have well, to hope that it th- Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great to chat. Thank you so much for joining me here on the show. As always, if you got something out of this, if you learned something, if you found it interesting, the best thing you can do to support this show, our guest, and any content creator that you love is to share their work. So thank you so much for listening here on The Chris Spangle Show. We'll see you again soon.